been so long since I've been up here to bring a message. It's uh, feels different. Feels good. Terrifying. Be it. Trusting in God. Let us pray first. Lord, our God, we come before you today, Lord. Lord, I ask for forgiveness of sins that I've committed this week. Lord, I ask that you bless me with a calming spirit today, Lord, to bring your words. That it would be your words spoken through my voice. Lord, we ask for the er, for the hearers, Lord, today. That you would cause them to hear your words spoken and not mine. That we meet each may draw closer to you, to live more to you, to bring fruits of your kingdom, worthy of your praise and your glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen. The vineyard. We find ourselves right back where BJ left us last week. In the temple. The same crowd. The same leaders. The same day. He had just finished telling them the parable of the two sons. One son who said no to the father, then repented and went and did what was asked. The other son who said yes, he would do that, but then did not. Jesus inferred in that parable that the leaders of Israel would not enter the kingdom of God. Why? For their unbelief. But that sinners who believed and repented would enter the kingdom. It was a parable of judgment against them. So we turn around. Parable of the vineyard. So here we still are. In the temple, Jesus hasn't backed off one little bit on the leaders of Israel. He comes right back at them with another parable, another parable of judgment. Things are starting to get a little heated. Jesus is trying to wake them up. He's trying to wake up the leaders of Israel. This parable directed mainly at the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. These were given the responsibilities of teaching and leading the people of God in their faith and in their praise and their thanksgiving to God. But these leaders have perverted God's covenant. They have kept the law or the letter of the law but they have made a mockery of its intent. And they don't want to see their own sins. 
So let us look at this parable of the vineyard. The scripture in Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. It's also in Mark, chapter 12, 1 through 12. And in Luke, chapter 20, 19 through 20, or 19 through, 9 through 19. Sorry about that. Let's read just Matthew's. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, then leased it to to tenants and went to another country. When the season for fruits drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get the fruit or his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again, he sent the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. And he will let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. And Jesus said to them, have, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables. They perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So who are these people in the parable? The landowner, the tenants, the servants, and the son. The landowner is the one who owns the land. He was to receive the biggest share of the fruit of the harvest at its time. The tenants were to be the caretakers for the vineyard, to do the nurturing, the watering, the protecting, the harvesting, and most of all, to render to the landowner his share of what was to come from the fruit of the harvest. The servants were sent to bring back to the landowner his portion of the fruit. The son was the heir to the vineyard and whatever it produced. Let's look closer at these. How the landowner takes pride in his vineyard. He clears the land of unwanted plants and rocks. 
much like we would do in a garden today. He clears it. Gets rid of everything unwanted. He plants the choices of the vines. Maybe even some fruit and nut trees in this vineyard as well. He builds a hedge, a fence, or a wall around it to protect it. To protect it from animals, from thieves, people who would just do damage and such. Then he builds a wine press. Wine presses were not small, they were large. Often in two layers, one for the crushing and one to receive the juice. This is built inside. And he builds a tower. Why would you need a tower in a vineyard? A number of reasons. To keep your supplies mainly to provide shelter and for protection. He's taking great pride in in doing everything right. He has given everything that a vineyard would need or could ever need. Then he goes on a long trip. He leaves the area completely. He's going to be gone an extended time. But before he leaves, he just doesn't leave his vineyard to go on its own. He rents it out to tenants. Puts people in charge of taking care of it. To do the watering, the pruning, the weeding, and yes, picking of the harvest. Finally, it comes time for the harvest to be harvested. And it's time to collect his portions of the fruit. So the landowner sends some servants to receive the fruits of the harvest. However, the tenants do not receive them very well. Said they beat some, they stoned some, they killed some. But yet how patient this landowner is. He does not rush to judgment against these wicked tenants. This is no ordinary landowner. He sends more. And he sends more again. And yet they are all beaten, stoned, and killed. Finally, with no more servants, or very few servants, He sends his son, thinking they will honor my son. They too take him. They take him out of the vineyard and kill him. At the end of this parable, Jesus says something that he does once in a while, but not every often. All the time. He turns to the listeners and he asks them, What then will the landowner do? And immediately their reply is to get rid of them, to put them to death, and to put in new tenants who will give the owner what his share is. Shortly after saying this, 
quite sure the Pharisees, the scribes, would almost instantly realize and understand that the parable was about them and who the people in the parable really are. The landowner is God Himself. The wicked tenants, the chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, the leaders responsible for teaching God's Word, the servants, they are the prophets. Prophets of old. And the Son. Well, He is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God gave Israel everything just as a landowner in the parable. The scribes and Pharisees to lead Israel, to tend to the vineyard as to say, in their walk with God, teach them all God's words, God's commands, Sent his servants to the prophets, or the prophets, from Josiah or Joshua to Malachi. Some may even include John the Baptist in this group of thinking. Time and time again, they turned to them from their errant ways. Some were beaten, some were stoned, some were killed. It's not easy being a servant. As soon as the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, that Jesus asked them a second question. One that would cut them to the quick. Did you not read the Scriptures? Oh, how that must have stung. Asking those who were responsible for teaching the Scriptures To say this. Did you not read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Psalms 118, verses 22 and 23. This rock of offense, a stumbling block, the ones who refused to believe in Jesus would trip over. To the one who falls on it, a breaking. To the one who, the one whom it falls on, a crushing, utter destruction. First, over stumbles over Christ in unbelief. The second comes with the final judgment, with the rejection of Jesus' teaching, means a shattering fall today and a pulverizing judgment tomorrow. This cornerstone, this chief cornerstone rejected by the builders 
That same stone placed right back where it was before the builders rejected it. This cornerstone is placed in a place of predominance. Everything is built from the cornerstone. The cornerstones at this time were huge. Sometimes as many as 12 feet wide. 20 feet long. 8, 10 feet deep. They were huge. How they cut them, how they moved them, we don't know. But yet, that was the cornerstone. That was where everything came off of. And without a good cornerstone, you would not have a building that was secure, one that would meet up properly at its ends and to support its roof. It's cornerstone rejected. Finding it right back where it needs to be. God brings back this stone that men rejected and put it in the place of most significance. The leaders rejected Christ, seeking to put Him to death, but they feared that crowd. would turn on them, and if they took hold of Jesus right now, what would have been their outcome? They would have to wait a bit longer to lay hold of Him and drag Him out to be killed. In Psalms 118, Verses 22 and 23. The stone here represents Israel, rejected by her powerful enemies, but restored by God. But in Jesus' use here in the parable, the stone is He Himself. The builders who reject Him are the people's present leaders. The tenants are now called builders. More fitting, since they are to be building up God's people. But we come to Jesus, the chief cornerstone again. Rejected, restored. In other words, Christ crucified, Christ risen. Jesus rejected as a Messiah by the leaders of Israel, yet it is in Jesus that the world finds its true foundation. And the taking of the kingdom away from the people of Israel, or from, from Israel to be given to a new nation, a nation that will bring forth the kingdom's fruits, a nation that is not really a nation, but a people encompassing the world, made up of both Jews and Gentiles, a living a, God, living a godly life in Jesus. This lends to a new creation such as a transformed Israel. The Old Testament still stands 
But we have a new covenant in the New Testament that Jesus gave. It's from God. It instructs us even more than the Old Testament on how we ought to live. Before we feel too smug and superior to the scribes and Pharisees at Jesus' time, we really need to do a reality check in our lives. Because this parable is not just against the leaders. It can also be against us who believe but yet do nothing with the Word of God in our lives. What have you done with God's grace? How have we tended the vineyards of the Lord? What fruit have we produced? We are not here to sun ourselves in His vineyard or to putter around it aimlessly. We are here to make a Christian difference. Not just us, elders, our leaders, teachers. It's about everyone. Any one of us here today can reject Jesus. That would be unfruitful. We could be unfruitful as well. It is our job to be about actively witnessing Christ's love in the world. In kindness, in generosity, in forbearance, in forgiveness, and all the other fruitful ways that share God's grace. Grace and mercy with everyone we meet. And to live a godly life pointing to Jesus in all that we do, all that we say, bringing praise and worship to God the Father. Our motto or mission statement on the wall over here, proclaiming, embodying, and enjoying the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform our community and the world all to the glory of God. That is what we are to be doing. Built on that firm foundation that very cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Because of our sins, we are guilty of Christ's blood. But by His mercy and His grace, we're also the beneficiaries. We benefit from His death. The death that He gave of Himself for our sins. When Christ came into the world, He knew that He came to die for our sins. He died for our redemption. By His blood we are forgiven. By His blood we are cleansed. By His blood we are brought back into the kingdom. Sealed with the blood of the Redeemer, reserved, protected by the presence of the Holy Spirit.
Now the worship team and the ushers come forward. As the emblems are passed, please hang on to them to partake of together. <laughs> 